Accutron Watches present. From New York City, this is the Accutron Show, a time travel through American culture with your hosts, Bill McCuddy, Scott Alexander, and David Graver. Visit AccutronWatch.com and discover the brand that has made American history with an all-new proprietary next-generation electrostatic energy movement. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. All of these major traditional century-old brands are starting to realize that you know, they need to meet emerging generations where they want to be met and where they're authentically and genuinely spending time. And that's in these immersive and, and digital environments where they have digital likenesses and digital friends and digital communities and activities and, and all of these things, you know, almost in parallel to what we have in the real world. The people you heard at the top of the show are today's guest, Joey Brander. He's the co-founder and managing partner at something called First Serve Partners, a venture capital firm with a focus on emerging industries and, yes, emerging generations. And also Bryson. Bryson is a gamer, a streamer, and a YouTuber and co-founder of something called The Loot Squad. First up, though, I'm Bill McCuddy, who knows nothing about anything (laughs) NFT-related, and I'm about to prove it. And I'm joined, as I always am, by Scott Alexander. He's a uh, culture writer and editor david graber and we are talking about web 3 the metaverse gaming and all things nft Uh Uh, uh, (laughs) stay tuned this podcast is presented by accutron watches visit our website accutronwatch.com and discover our iconic space view 2020 collection Recreating the stunning visual impact of the original open dial design combined with an all-new electrostatic energy movement. Time just changed again. The Accutron Space View 2020. How much money do you have in your pocket right now, Scott? Paper uh, money, real deal. You know, 40, 50 bucks. You do. Graver? It's my emergency 20. You so you have an emergency 20. You need uh, which, an emergency 20. How long has that been sitting in your wallet? For years, yeah. So I live the, in Brooklyn. You got to have bodega money. I, okay. The point is, we're going to talk about cyber currency today. We're going to talk about gaming. We're going to talk about. We have a one name gamer guy who's one of the uh, premier a players. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't play Call Tour of Duty, Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, Tour any of that of stuff. I don't right. know Tour it. of Auto. It's not. Like, <laughs> but the idea that you can now actually make money doing this. Uh, is only going to encourage. I actually a whole sold you on the blockchain, Bill. I hate to break this to you. I didn't want this to be the time when I, I brought it up. Oh, but I Bill, sold. Bill, if yeah. you can ask to, the very, I sold you to Dave. <laughs> if you can ask the very personal question, how much cash do I have in my wallet? I can ask you how much you have in your Coinbase. Uh, <laughs> do you own your name I, in Ethereum? Emer- I have an emergency twenty. No, I have no coin. <laughs> I have no coin related. Somebody said. No somebody said the other day. No Doge. You're a fool if you have. 10% of your money in crypto and a fool if you don't have 5%. Or words to that I effect, that's right. which is paraphrasing what they said about gold a million years ago. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, you know, are we going to have nothing but cryptocurrency in the next whatever, 50, 100 years? Is every is it real? 100 it, years maybe, but you know, 10 years no. So this isn't Dutch tulips that everybody's yeah. investing this in. This is going to be here collapse. forever. Well, th- some of it will. Got Kim Kardashian had there, a- there is such a thing. I mean, there's Squidcoin. Like Squidcoin, you know, came out when Squid Game was out and they people ran up a thing. It's very easy to run a scam in this space and convince people of stuff because they're primed to believe Bitcoin is real, Ethereum is real, Doge is even real, even though it started as a joke. But Squidcoin was what they call a rug pull. 
where they got a bunch of people to invest, and then the people who started it just grabbed all the money and ran. Yeah, but there's so much f- focus on the negativity in this space where I really think the key word, and I hope we learn this from the group, is community. <laughs> I don't there think really there's is any deficit of positivity in this uh, space, David, I have to say. <laughs> I, I, one of the most optimistic uh, communities I've ever seen. Well, that's finance in general, isn't it, for people involved right. in finance? Yeah. $110 billion <laughs> industry gaming last year. Uh, something like $77 billion of that on mobile devices and the other $35 billion in uh, sitting at home at a well, PC. But here's the thing. Axie Infinity, the game that Bryson kind of got big playing, it's a Bitcoin and a, or not Bitcoin, blockchain-enabled game. The company's worth $2.4 billion on its own. Is this our first one-named guest? I think so. So until Cher comes along, Bryson <laughs> is going to have to do it. He's done a little rapping. Maybe he'll do a rap, a rap tune for us about Accutron. And I wonder if there'll ever be a metaverse you'll walk into where after having bought an Accutron watch in reality, you'll go into that metaverse space and it'll automatically be on your wrist asset. there. Yeah. It's, it's so many, happening, Bill. Dare to dream. Many, many questions when our guests join us on the Accutron show today. And we'll be right back after this. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our Accutron DNA collection. Reimagined for a new generation, the Accutron DNA combines breakthrough technology, precise engineering, and modern aesthetics to achieve a new level of technical excellence. The Accutron DNA, the new face of time for those who blaze new trails. Joey Brander and Bryson, join us now. Let me, Joey, begin with you. How did you two meet up, and what was the first project that you guys did together? So Bryce and I uh, uh, first met um, through some mutual friends in the uh, largely interconnected world of Web3. And, uh, you know, uh, Bryce obviously has built a a tremendous reputation for himself as, I mean, truly the biggest, you know, most influential uh, Axie player, streamer in the world and really extending to, you know, to the rest of the major uh, play to earn games now as well. And uh, so I was certainly familiar with his background. You know, I built up a bit of a, a reputation and track record in the space with, uh, you know, with the number of the investments that we've made within it. And, um, you know, I think we quickly became uh, friends after that. And, uh, we ended up, uh, investing in loot squad Bryce's, uh, company, which is, is doing tremendously well in a, a company that we're really excited about and, uh, and happy to report that he's also moved down to South Florida lately, uh, where I'm based as well. So it's been nice to, to see a lot more of Bryce as of late. Florida so seems- just to be clear, Bryson, you two have met in person, not just in the metaverse. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we've we've met in person. We're uh, both, we're both real life friends and metaverse friends. <laughs> <laughs> Florida seems like the new sort of uh, Web three coast, as it were. Is that is that the way you feel about it? I would personally say so. I, I know for myself, it was yo, you know, you're building this really cool company, and uh, the idea is how do you, you know, not really escape taxes, but get a better tax rate, but also <laughs> right. be somewhere where building in a bit warmer climate is actually pretty conducive. Now, Miami, I have my, you know, various reasons for wanting to be there as well, but it was either Miami or go to some other major city, and um, being closer to, you know, Joey and, and and my investing team. I ran into Waylon actually the other day on a run, uh, and he was FaceTiming Joey at the time, so it's it's really cool to have that like close knit connection and uh, really allows me to kind of get a better sense of not only them as investors, but also learning from them as friends and people who are a little bit older than me and have been navigating the investing space and just also life in general balancing uh, so much. So it's been great. 
I think a lot of people, when they think about the the term Web3, immediately tend to go to perhaps crypto, NFTs, or decentralized social media. Can you talk about how gaming is integral to the future of Web3? Totally. So a lot of people fail to realize that the real kind of infrastructural play here is just the introduction of finance to uh, a ton of gamers who, you know, for most parts, aren't really privy to understanding financial intelligence and saving and investing. But when you're playing these different, you know, Web3 based video games, of course, you know, there's the ability to earn. But when I jumped into it back last April, I learned about things I'd never touched before, like, you know, staking and how those APRs can play a short intermediary and, and long term impact on your financial well-being from a crypto standpoint. You learn about risk management and tolerance. You, you, you create your own wallet, which in the sense is like creating your own banking system for the decentralized world. So for me, it was a complete game changer just understanding, oh, this is this world that I had never been privy to. Uh, and especially in a lot of these developing nations where we have players playing, they have crypto wallets before they have traditional bank accounts. Most of them are actually using their crypto income and, and, and then they're taking that and being able to build uh, bank accounts, especially in the Philippines, where I think you have to have a certain standing before you can even uh, open certain accounts. So from what we've seen so far is not only are we having gamers who enjoy playing these games, but they're becoming investors. They're starting their own small crypto businesses around this Web3 gaming world, and they're creating avenues and revenue streams that in the traditional world, gamers aren't even aware exist. So Joey, tell, tell people who are listening to this that this is really real now. This is really happening. You know, you guys talk about Miami. I just got back from Art Basel a few weeks ago, and, and NFTs were sort of the buzz thing there. It's become a big category. Uh, I think there are a lot of skeptical people out there, though, who still think they're not going to be doing transactions uh, with any kind of digital currency. How real is it, and what's it going to take for everybody to get on board? Uh, I mean, it's definitely real. And, and I think to to touch on your last question and then also uh, move into this one, um, you know, I think that for most of the past couple of years, as crypto has become a mainstream term and more and more people have learned about the crypto economy, it is immediately so associated with financial tools. It is associated with speculative trading. It's associated with governance, with with a lot of things that the average consumer doesn't necessarily care about, doesn't necessarily understand, doesn't have any use for in their in their day-to-day life. And while there's been significant and exponential growth in the crypto economy over the past couple of years, there's been significant growth in the number of unique wallets in you know the number of individuals globally that have been onboarded into the uh, into the crypto economy. Um, before really 12 months ago or 18 months ago, when play to earn gaming started to become a household term and some of these major consumer friendly businesses and platforms were built and scaled, it was still hard to find a use case for the average person, um, you know, at, at this given point. So I think one thing that, uh, you know, play to earn gaming, play and earn gaming, depending on how you want to refer to it, uh, has done is given, uh, you know, I'm I'm 26. Bryce is around my age as well. I have so many of my friends that have been asking me, "Hey, I heard about Axie Infinity. I play video games. You know, however many hours a day. Anyway, I'm playing FIFA. I'm playing 2K. I'm playing Call of Duty. I'm investing a lot of money every year into skins and into my FIFA Ultimate Team and into power ups for my players. I'm giving my time to this game." 
and I'm not receiving anything for it. I've, I, I don't own anything. I don't, uh, I, I don't, you know, have mutually aligned incentives with the publisher, but I hear about these play to earn games. And not only do they seem really fun and not only does it seem like there's this really powerful digital community that I can be a part of that loves these games, but you're telling me that I can actually own that thing that I play with and that I customize and that I spend so much time with. And if I spend however many hours a day playing and actually becoming good at this game, I can earn something for it uh, and benefit from the growth of the ecosystem all, all together. Um, so I think that these type of platforms, in addition to uh, NFT collectibles, in addition, addition to NFT wearables for avatars across different metaverse platforms, immersive virtual reality experiences, there are so many consumer-friendly platforms now being built uh, on a variety of blockchains and leveraging this technology that anyone can find a use case for that I think it's going to be uh, you know, really the next major catalyst to onboarding, um, you know, just how you saw a wave from, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s through the mid 2000s of the Internet being reserved for those that were incredibly technically savvy or had a very particular use for it to then everybody using the Internet for one reason or another. I think this is now the next evolution of the crypto economy altogether, where everybody's going to have a use case for for getting a wallet, for being onboarded into one of these different games or platforms or metaverses. And, and I think that there's going to be such incredible growth coming, um, you know, from these developments that it's, uh, it's, it's truly incredibly exciting. Yeah, it does feel like it's the next thing once, once this sort of idea of digital ownership sort of really takes hold beyond sort of the, the early adopters of crypto and NFTs and, and play to earn. As a gamer myself, I had it is a very appealing idea that I could make money playing a video game. But I looked at the price to buy into like even Axie, and it seems like that price is rising. Is that do I have that correct? That that, that it actually is getting more expensive over time to enter the game. So it's there was a point where Axie kind of reached this hype cycle, and you know we had a I think over a three four month period over. A million and a half players jumped into the game and we saw prices reach uh, some very absurd numbers, uh, you know, where a full team that was actually good was costing, you know, upwards of a thousand dollars. Now, where the game currently is, uh, you know, prices are very much at a, at a low point in terms of you can now hop into the game with about 150 bucks and get yourself a team. But Ideally, over the next month, month and a half, Axie is going to be releasing version two of their game, which will involve a free-to-play model. So any gamer will be able to come in and play Axie Infinity for free. The earning oh, mechanisms cool. will be a lot less to start for the free-to-play gamers, but mm -hmm. it'll give you a sense of coming in, demoing the game, playing it, seeing how well you enjoy it, and you know being able to leverage your own first impression on whether or not it's something you want to do. Is there is there risk though involved when you when you if you were to have gotten in at the peak and and have uh, bought in for a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars, or something like that, and then you go and you lose a, a battle. Are you, are you at risk of actually losing your digital assets at that point? No, you, you don't lose your digital assets if you lose okay. battles. You gotcha. don't lose the uh, cryptocurrency that you made from previous battles if you lose battles. You you just can only gain. But the thing is, you know, with the prices fluctuating, there are people who bought in at the top and, you know, feel a little bit jaded by the fact that the price of their, their NFT right. asset is a lot lower than when they first bought into it. So that's always like the risk and, and give and take when it comes to being in crypto and hype cycles around these, you know, around games, but around tokens in general. Uh, and, and that's something that the market kind of handles more 
more so than the game. But I think the free-to-play model is going to uh, resolve a lot of those pain points. Yeah, there are these other games that people play for money. Uh, they're called, you know, craps. Poker. And poker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, there's yeah. a little bit of risk involved there. Which are regulated by the government. And, right. And regulation here is a new, is a process in development. <laughs> I mean, is is has there been much regulation so far on these uh, types of games? I think a lot of that, you know, remains to be to be seen, and I think everybody is really still learning about these, um, you know, gaming assets and environments. But um, I think to go back to your previous question in terms of you know risk of loss, in terms of uh, you know of everything like that. Uh, well, if, if you think about it, I mean, there are billions of dollars spent in game per year, as I mentioned earlier, whether it's FIFA Ultimate Team, whether it's in right. skins, whether it's whatever it may be. And and those are essentially a, an immediate loss. Right. I mean, if right. It's a sunk cost. By, it's, it's gone. If, correct. It's a it's a it's a sunk cost. Uh, but I, I'm not actually going to be able to, you know, recap my principle in any capacity right. other than with fun. Are you worried about that? About legislation coming, or about thing about people going? Uh, this is scary, and calling again, their congressman and calling their senator and getting some kind of shutdown <laughs> on all of this. Yeah, again, I think that these are all things that remain to be seen, and and I think that there's a lot of learning that has to be done, um, you know, across the board when it comes to these assets, when it comes to the industry. I think that the industry is going to continue to evolve. Uh, you know, the way these different platforms are built or structured or monetized, the way uh, incentive structures are constructed with gamers. I mean, I think all of this is going to continue to evolve over the coming uh, over the coming years. And, and it's important to remember that if you if we were all having a conversation two years ago, uh, a lot of this didn't even exist at that right. at that Indeed. point. At least, certainly, by no means at a, at at the scale that it it uh, that it is today. So, I think that there's a lot of evolution that has to occur uh, before there's real, you know, kind of clarity when it comes to those uh, those particular key points. You're clearly leaders in this space. What would you say to people who are nervous or hesitant, but have the itch to sort of begin to explore? On my front, I would just say if you have played any traditional video games, uh, you don't realize it for the most part because you're playing and the enjoyment level maybe supersedes the amount spent. But if you think of it from the perspective of you're buying the same game over and over again every year or you spend thousands of dollars in microtransactions, maybe jumping in and spending a couple hundred bucks to see if a game that you know might be in the early stages of, of, of crypto but could change the way you game in the future uh, involving not just earning in the game, but a lot of these games have governance tokens where you can actually stake ownership and be able to vote on different expansion packs and visions and like the future state of the game. So in a world where kind of community is coming to the forefront of gaming and gamers want to eventually have more stake in terms of the games that they play, I think there is a space where if I'm convincing someone, it's think about the long-term impact of how your gaming experiences will change over time. Like, for example, we see Call of Duty every year. I'm someone who loves the game, but I hate that, you know, I could never give a suggestion that's actually actually taken into account and the gaming developers still sell loot boxes for absurd amounts of money and make billions right. of dollars. Yes. So but these incumbents you know, also, you're seeing them dip their toe into these waters. You're seeing them make some announcements about NFTs and their games, your Ubisoft's Activision, you know, uh, take two, all those guys seem to have some kind of plan, whether it's a lot of times I see those press releases and I say, this is just a, a, a try to get attention. Um, it feels it always feels like in these technological battles that the incumbents just don't get it and that it's it's the new 
young folk who come up from from the bottom who tend to end up running the show. Is that how you see this going? Do you see these think these guys, the big incumbents, have a play? Well, I think it's very much dependent on how the Web3 game markets itself and like the actual entertainment value of the game. If it's not there, it's going to be very hard to onboard it. I mean, I have a nephew who I got into Axie Infinity. He still prefers to walk around Fortnite and jump around and not kill anything at his you know, young age of eight years old than he does to sit in a game of Axie Infinity. So it's like there's still a ways to go in terms of adoption and scaling. But I do think long term when you know, younger people that play these games start seeing their favorite creators. They start seeing people that they, you know, visually identify with playing these games. They're more likely to gravitate towards it. It's the culture that you build around the game more so than the actual game itself. I mean, Fortnite would have done well regardless of who they put there, but Ninja, Myth, Bugga, they definitely played a very large role in cultivating what that audience looks like. Joey Brander and Bryson are talking to us, actually trying to get us into the game. Uh, <laughs> when we return after this break, I want to know what the typical day of a gamer is like. Also, I suck at Golf Clash, so why do I want to lose money at it? And is there a Tetris game I can play online uh, and make any kind of money at all? This is the Accutron Show, and we'll be right back after this. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com and discover our legacy collection. Reviving some of the most memorable Accutron watches from the 60s and 70s, the legacy collection combines timeless design with the technical excellence of Swiss watchmaking, each limited to 600 individually numbered pieces. The Accutron Legacy Collection, inspired by the past, built for the future. Welcome back to the Accutron Show. We're talking to Joey Brander and Bryson. Bryson has the coolest job on the planet. I thought, uh, yeah. I thought Graver did. Uh, cool hunting. <laughs> you've been supplanted, <laughs> yeah, David. Yeah, yeah. You're, you've been toppled. Uh, tell us what a gamer does in a typical day, Bryson. Oh, man. So before I you know, started Loot Squad and raised money with Joey and, and a bunch of other angels and, and investors, my day was waking up, uh, creating YouTube content, video content, Twitch streaming. I actually rap live on my Twitch streams. So I, I okay. like I allow people to legitimately send me instrumentals and beats and and then I'll like I'll, I'll you know rap for a couple of minutes. Sometimes I can go longer. I've done like 10 or 15 minutes. But, you know, it's, it's waking up, getting a little bit of breakfast, some eggs. I try to do like three to four eggs. Then <laughs> And I sit at my computer for 10 hours, enjoy the metaverse, and then get off of it and think, wow, what am I doing with my life? 10 hours. <laughs> 10 hours is like a decent, uh, reasonable stretch for you? Yeah, that's like a that's like a normal, consistent day. It's like a, a good 10 hours at the screen. Dang, that's a lot of hours. I know my mom would listen to this and say, what's he doing for a physical education? And uh, is he well, getting it's outside? It's called a job. I mean, and, a lot of people go, they, they yeah, drive an hour to a, a place, and they sit there cool for eight hours, and they drive in the home agree. for an hour. So. Yeah. Uh, you look like you're in good shape, so I'm sure you're doing something. It's all those eggs. During oh, the break, we small, touched on something important. Small muscles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. During the break, we touched on something important, and I would love to ask you about the importance of gamer education and the fundamentals people need to know to enter into this space. Of course, uh, I think it's one that is going to probably be like the leading cause for gamers either joining or not joining. And mm -hmm. I look at it in terms of like traditional politics. You have people who are either ridiculously left wing or ridiculously right wing, and you're never going to shape or change their opinion in the short or intermediary term. But there's a lot of bickering back and forth. And you see that between the traditional and NFT gaming space where there are people who are maxis on one side or the other. Me, I love both styles of game. So my idea is how do we give the people in 
the middle who want to take the leap in the early stages, the information that's needed, because just like in the traditional world, you know, there's people who come up with financial scams via cash app and all these other really cool, like interesting platforms that do amazing things. And people have found a way to, you know, create bad actors out of that. So, you know, the crypto world is no different. It, there's great use cases and there's terrible ones. But the thing is, how do we explain it to gamers in a way that is, hey, not only are you getting paid for your time, your energy, but you have a level of ownership that you might not even been thinking that you deserved in the past. It's more so about now gamers valuing their time, their attention, their energy, and their input over just the entertainment value. And entertainment in every gaming industry will come. Like, I, I'm very much willing to bet my, you know, bet my hat on the fact that long term, we will see Web3 games that play very much like traditional games, and you won't even need a wallet to onboard. It'll feel so seamless that you are only interacting with the crypto side of it when you want to actually deposit or retrieve money. But the thing is, we have right. to preface education first and then being respectful in all of these conversations. You know, I see traditional gamers all the time that are much larger platforms than myself. They'll comment on some of my tweets and, you know, say really harsh things about the industry because they're just not educated. And I can't <laughs> blame them for it because if you've been in a space where all these multi-billion dollar traditional gaming organizations that have these traditional archaic business models make money off the fact that they can not, not exploit, but they can use their current business models to get gamers to buy microtransactions over and over and over again. Why would you want to change your model? I don't blame them. So the idea is how do we retrain people to not be so kind of passive and cautious to the idea that something could change their life. And by then also providing them with a formula to go back to these same traditional video game publishers and saying, Hey, we're not going to stand for this same level of microtransaction abuse and making it to where we don't get anything back on our end. So I focus a lot of my energy and just providing education and being respectful for anyone who has an opinion and a viewpoint on this space. Right. Sure. I, one thing that stands out listening to you describe these things is that these uh, these games, these uh, pay-to-earn or play-to-earn games uh, are, are kind of a platform. And the contrast to me seems not even so much like with the original, with the conventional video game world, which it feels it's actually pretty similar, but with the social media platforms, which are already taking your effort and profiting off of your input. They're, they're taking your input and making money off of it. And in this case, you can put your input in and make money off it yourself because it's decentralized. It's not owned by some big player there who's going to make money off your back. Yeah. And, and, and not just in the gaming space, we see this taking place with, you know, a company like looks rare, who is like a big open C competitor in the NFT marketplace space. And that derived from the fact that open C was making so much money, but none of the revenue splits were going back to the people using the platform. So looks rare decided, Hey, we will have it. So we're daily, we're paying out profit to the people who use our platform, who own our token. And I really think this is where the model is going, even from a creator standpoint. Uh, you know, the first thing that I ever launched on, on the, on the blockchain, in terms of NFTs was actually a portion of my brand as a representative in an NFT. So pretty much I have one, one you know, crypto whale who pretty much bought a percentage of my brand in any future endorsement deals just based on kind of buying into what I was doing. And this was at a small point. I think I was maybe... 10 or 15 K on, on Twitter, but it allowed me to not only go full time, but allow me to pretty much build loot squad and, and, and completely change my trajectory. So it's like everything we do, in my opinion, deserves the ability to not only profit from a, uh, a monetary standpoint for, but also from like a branding or an understanding or an educational standpoint. And that's where the future of crypto and NFTs and technology is taking this. What percentage of your brand did you end up selling? 
So we haven't disclosed on an amount. It's a deal by deal basis. Uh, mm. So right now I'm, I'm working very closely with the Vayner uh, sports media team and we're working on some very large lucrative deals. So I, it's fair to say that his 25K investment will probably profit, uh, you know, well beyond what he initially <laughs> spent in it. Um, but he, it was a huge help. I wouldn't be here talking to you guys today if he wasn't, you know, the person that came in and it's like, hey, right. I'll take a gamble on this guy. And that's all set up. That's all done through smart contracts. So when you make money, he just literally gets paid automatically. That's all baked in. Well, that piece isn't baked in yet because okay. we, we're not we're not operating with smart contract like the actual contract okay. of a deal on the blockchain. But you know, I chat with him every day, and I'm very transparent in terms of what I'm doing and and how we're building. <laughs> so we're back to angel. we're back to. I swear, the money's coming. I promise. <laughs> I, I thought I thought blockchain was supposed to get us away from all this. Well, I think the biggest <laughs> issue is creating platform-based solutions in terms of how to operate these things on the blockchain are still web two based ideologies. Like, yeah, you know, you're operating with the blockchain, but it's still somewhere related to some smart code that's handled in an AWS server somewhere in either Northern Virginia or somewhere in Washington. So ultimately there's still like this uh, web two and web three balance give and take that still plays a role. The Bitcoin is in the outbox. (laughs) That's going to be the new checks in the mail. David, a question? I do have a question for you and it's, I I can't be the only person to wonder this, but it's something I think a lot about, the concept of metaverse. I think perhaps some people that are not as informed as you both would think metaverse is just another place that you can access through any portal, but you're all entering into the same world. But that's not really the case, right? The metaverse is siloed. Your platform takes you to its metaverse. There is no boundary breaking in that world, right? Oh, you're, you're exactly spot on. I was chatting with a, a friend of mine from college the other day and he said, yo, can you, um, can you hop on a call with me and tell me how to access web three? And I'm like, web th- I'm like, web three is, uh, <laughs> no. it, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's an interesting concept. I was like, dude, literally web three is, is all around you. I would say, if you think of different platforms, I would consider Twitter like the oratory kind of new cycle of the metaverse where you connect socially. And, you know, even though they derived out of web two, they focus a lot of their energy on building a lot of web three based features and capabilities. But I mean, every game, every ecosystem has its own metaverse. And I think ultimately Thinking of it as a multiverse is a more uh, a more kind of, uh, in my opinion, intelligent approach to what the long-term future of it holds. Because you might be in Facebook's metaverse using an Oculus, or you might be just using Twitter on your phone. I mean, right now we're technically in the metaverse. It's Maybe it's more so a topic-based approach around how we're having conversation and visually using the dynamics of, you know, capabilities and technology to just have these regular conversations. Like I don't see myself ever being someone who walks around Decentraland and like uses an avatar as my full main time, like persona, but to be able to sit on a call and chat video calling, I mean, maybe the metaverse derived years ago and now we're just using the term to represent it. That's brilliant. Thank you. Uh, you know, here at the Action show, we are um, very intensely concerned with collecting in a lot of ways. In our case, it's watches and and other things like this. And it feels like this is another big parallel with uh, digital ownership of things. I'm wondering if there's going to be a market for a kind of hybrid of a digital, physical objects like that you might buy a watch at some point and that it is Digital also twins, an nft in yeah you know mm-hmm. and that those things can be linked do you see any future there for that 
I think so. Uh, one thing that interestingly just happened, I think it was down in Tampa where a house was actually uh, sold as an NFT. And if you had the NFT, you had the ownership rights to the house. And, and, and I think we're going to start seeing more of these really cool and intricate things coming into play. Mm-hmm. I know there's a couple of artists that I've worked with who literally are like, hey, if you buy my NFT, I'll actually ship you, you know, the physical. So it's like the NFT in a lot of cases could potentially be that, uh, you know, certificate of authenticity that lives on the blockchain for the physical item. And even if the physical item is the destroyed, it's still, hey, this is what the art represented. So if there is no Mm -hmm. physical, you still have the metaverse approach to that same item and it still can derive value from it because the certificate of authenticity still represents that piece of art that is like visible on the blockchain. So I think there's going to be a future where we see a lot of these intricate models taking place, Uh, but I'm waiting to see somebody go out and say, hey, you know, I'm going to fractionalize a private jet and then we're going to rent out that private jet to random people and everyone who owns a piece of the fractionalization is actually earning profit from it or something like that. That feels like that's coming any minute right now. There'll be a Dow for jets. Like Bryson, by the way, speaking of collectibles uh, and Accutron, if you want to bust out in an Accutron wrap at any point, please feel free to. We'd love it. (laughs) Hey, Joey, uh, what percentage of your daily commerce is happening in crypto right now? And, and, and when do you see, or do you foresee a time when we will be a hundred percent crypto? Is that day ever coming? I think that's an interesting question. And I think this this even alludes to what we were just talking about or, or ties into that in terms of what, what does utility mean when you talk about digital assets or collectibles or communities? Uh, and how can that utility be expanded to the point where the physical and the digital worlds are intersecting in, in more and more ways? And I, I think beyond even just the top layer of here's a physical item, here's a digital representation or a digital certificate of authenticity, I mean, you're starting to see real-life events that are token-gated, where instead of having to buy a ticket for that event, you have to prove ownership of a certain number of tokens or of a digital asset. You're starting to see digital membership clubs that provide a suite of benefits, like a LinksDAO, as an example, is a is a recent one, or Flyfish, Gary Vaynerchuk's project, where he's building out a physical restaurant and club in New York that you got to own a, this NFT to, to belong to. Uh, You're seeing traditional brands start understanding that the metaverse is just an immersive digital environment. And if you believe young people are going to spend more and more time in immersive digital environments, then you need to have a strategy related to it. And that's why you see Nike acquiring Artifact. That's why you see Adidas in partnership with G-Money, a major uh, crypto influencer, Uh, rolling out their Web3 strategy. Prada has made a play in in Web3. All of these major traditional century-old brands are starting to realize that they need to meet emerging generations where they want to be met and where they're authentically and genuinely spending time. And that's in these immersive and and digital environments where they have digital likenesses and digital friends and digital communities and activities and and all of these things almost in parallel to what we have in the real world. So as as all of that continues to be built out, as young people, millennial, Gen Z, and, and subsequent generations become a larger and larger percentage of the population, where more and more activities are done in immersive digital environments, then, then obviously, to answer you know, the question that you just asked, uh, you know, more and more transactions will be done in digital currencies, more and more transactions will be done from a volume perspective in terms of digital assets or collectibles or memberships or apparel or whatever it may be, uh, as there are additional use cases for 
for them as there's more more and more uh, utility uh, around them. So uh, again, it's it's it is it, not even in the first inning, uh, you know, of the game when it comes to this space. I think that everybody's still just getting out of the out of the dugout and trying to figure out. Uh, you know what, what, where the industry goes from here, but I think the tailwinds are abundantly clear that uh, these are all environments that young people are passionate about. Even from a Web two perspective, when you look at Roblox and how they've grown an incredibly passionate, active user base, um, and now you're just introducing ownership and mutually aligned incentives to them. It feels so much like the Wild West right now. You you could compared it to a baseball game. Um, it would be nice if it was a baseball game because then there would be rules that people <laughs> would be playing by, and they'd say, "Oh, you you broke the rules." That can't. But there seems like there's not even rules to be broken at this point. It it just feels so wide open. Does that ever give you pause or or uh, at all? It's funny that you say that. And and one of the things that I mean, years and years ago, when I first started reading about uh, crypto and blockchain and decentralization, you know, out of my college dorm room, and I would go to meetups in New York and and conferences and all this kind of stuff and talk about it. You know, one of the first things that was told to me that's always stuck in my mind is, is when you're building out these decentralized platforms or communities or protocols, it's almost like building a new country. Right. And you've got to put in place uh, methods of who, who determines what the rules are, mm-hmm. who determines if the rules are broken, who is there to you know, make key decisions. How does voting happen? Is is everybody who owns X, Y and Z entitled to a vote or are we delegating our votes to, to somebody else to represent us like mm-hmm. we do in, in a representative democracy, as an example? Uh, so as these environments and protocols and platforms scale, and as more and more people uh, engage with them, and as there's more and more transaction volume and more and more use case and everything we've been talking about over the course of this conversation, um, those rules will be defined. The people that carry out those rules, that set the rules, that maintain the rules, that, uh, you know, that, that are able to change them. Uh, will all be defined and will all be uh, will all evolve as we determine what does and does not work, what is and is not the most efficient efficient method. But if you think about it, you know, we are still uh, making alterations to the United States Constitution, right, in terms of uh, amendments. We are still voting through new policy. We are still squabbling 100 people in the in the United States Senate squabbling over uh, whether the country should go in this direction or that direction, and, and there's no difference here other than it is community owned and and governed. Right? Are we starting to see trends come out of that, like structures that do work, best practices for say DAOs or for these various organizations? I, w- I would say so. I, I think as more is being built out and there are more DAOs creating structures and learning from each other, like uh, for example, a really smart person I've learned from in terms of guild building and community building uh, is Peter Pan. He actually Mm. was the first person to create a Web3 based guild. Now he runs uh, 1KX, which is a venture fund uh, for Web3 based uh, organizations and and things of that sort. But um, he really constructed uh, an early manifesto on like 
the guild and community building world and is considered the father of community building in the Web3 space. So uh, I think it's like very much dependent on the type of DAO. But, you know, we're seeing people enter the space of music and and, and handle things in a very open ended and professional way. And, and all of it is just how do we continue to build on uh, the Web2 archaic models that really, you know, hindered people, whether it was artists not really earning enough from their royalties or, you know, gamers not having the ownership or uh, just in general, companies not sharing the profits in a, in a very open ended way. So uh, ultimately, I do think we're seeing standards begin to change, but it's still so early. I, I think yeah. maybe three to five years, the standards are much different and more robust than what we see today. I can't tell if you guys are libertarians or communists. It's really, it's really <laughs> which it's dove, difficult. Which dovetails perfectly into my question, Joey. Do, is the, does this industry have lobbyists? Do you have a voice in Washington in terms of how this is going to get uh, formulated uh, from the government standpoint? I think you're starting to see that more and more. And, and um, I think that there is certainly a barrier in terms of uh, tech savvy and I think general knowledge around what's happening in this space from the perspective of Washington, where you often hear statements come out from uh, you know elected officials where you're just like, my goodness, has this person ever ever spent time really studying the space or learning about it. And again, I think that that's just a, a learning curve that every day that goes by and, and everybody gets a little bit smarter, a little bit more informed, a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, better read in terms of what's going on in the industry, that relationship between the crypto community or the Web3 community in Washington will, will get better and better. Uh, there are certainly efforts, especially over the past couple of months, uh, more and more lobbying groups, more and more, you know, quote unquote, whales in in the space who have uh, started, um, you know, that kind of open communication with with members of our of our government and, and hoping to start a healthy discourse. And um, I, I really think that uh, there is such a natural friction, whether it's age related or demographic related or culturally, you know, people in Web three love to kind of force their own path or go against the man or anything like that, that kind of culture is certainly embedded within the space. Uh, and on the flip side, I, I just, I really don't think that there is a, an incredibly well-versed understanding of what's happening in web three in Washington. Hmm. So my hope is that uh, as time goes by, there will be a healthy discord, a healthy communication between the two groups. I think that it, that, Everything that's happening in Web3 is going to be such an important piece of uh, future technology, of our future economy, of you know, so many different industries that intersect within the space that I certainly don't want to see you know, certain countries get left behind because they didn't want to you know, understand the space or they didn't want to make room for that space to build and scale within that country. And then all of a sudden people are going elsewhere and, and what makes yeah, America I'm looking so at you crazy. Lichtenstein <laughs> I mean this is this has always been a place that people that want people want to come and build right the right. greatest innovators the greatest technologists the greatest startups have largely been built and scaled within the United States and and you know I hope that that continues to be the case in this new frontier of of the internet well, we have yeah. been talking to two of the pioneers. I, I'm not too hopeful about Washington since most of the senators and congressmen have Commodore 64s on their desk, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> but we have gotten an incredible education. We've been 3.0'd ourselves. Uh, 
and we really appreciate the upload. Joey Brander is finding smart people like Bryson. They are getting together. They've actually met in person. Uh, today they were part of the metaverse on something we call the Accutron Show. Thanks for joining us, gentlemen. Thanks again. Thank you. I guess. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To listen to all of our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. To learn more about the world of Accutron, follow us on Instagram at Accutron Watch and subscribe to our podcast. From New York City, until next time, Accutron Time.